The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Uh, this is uh, my first time in Wisconsin. Thank you for turning the snow on. Uh, I got here Friday and I was like, wow, I even text pictures to my family back in Haiti. And I said, man, it, it, I was expecting all this snow and there's nothing. And then I woke up yesterday. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> I was talking to Pastor Derek, who, by the way, you saw the video, what I used to look like. I came here, I said, hey, who cuts your hair? Now you know what happens. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I was talking to Pastor Derek, and I said, uh, you know, I really, I'm curious, who is the first person to settle in this area? It had to be in August, right? Because who comes to this? <laughs> wow, but I will tell you, I, I am just blown away. Thank you so much for your hospitality. Thank you for your kind words that you've said. And on behalf of all of our friends and our family that you saw in that video and beyond, thank you for being a part of what's going on in Haiti right now. Now, you may not know this, you may not even think about it, but 2,000 miles away, there is a group of people gathered outside this morning that are doing the exact same thing that we're doing. They are praising the exact same God that, that we are praising. They are lifting up the name of Jesus, the same Jesus that we are. And so it is an honor to stand here with you this morning and to, to break bread and, and to be here and to be a part of this great day. This is the Lord's day. Uh, but the great part about this is, so is tomorrow. And so will the next day be. And we will live that way. And we will, we will commit that what we are doing is not ever going to be, nor has it ever been about us, but it is about God himself. So as we talk this morning, we're going to talk through kind of introduce your new sermon series called Awakening Influence. And my goal is that when you leave here today, that you may understand a little more about who God has created you to be in your own circle. You don't have to pack up and move to Haiti. That's not normal. I understand that. In fact, when I tell people, when people look at me and they say, oh, where do you live? And I say, Haiti. The first thing I get is, excuse me, did you say Haiti? Yeah, because it's not normal. And I get that. And so what I want to do is I want to take just a few minutes and I want to open up and, and start with the uh, start with a video, or excuse me, start with a verse, and they're going to put it up on the screens from Second Timothy chapter one. This is a beautiful verse, and this is Paul writing to Timothy, the second letter to him. Paul kind of mentored Timothy, if you will, in ministry, and then Paul placed him with a church, and in in that church, Timothy was growing, and, and just like any church, he had some issues. There were some things going on, and, and Timothy was struggling a little bit, and that word had gotten back to Paul. And so here's what Paul says. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, oh, that's awesome, but of power and love and self-control. And Paul is reminding Timothy, he's, he's just telling him, Timothy, when I was there and I laid my hands on you and you confirmed that God was calling you and doing this, you left and, and there was this fire that burns within you. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about? And then, and then Timothy, as, as time's gone on, you've kind of forgotten that. And I want to I encourage you to fan that into flame. So the first thing I want you to grab in that, the gift's already there. It's not like Timothy's having to wait for somebody to come bring it to him. God moved into Timothy's life, and the Holy Spirit came and started to just start this movement. You guys know when the Holy Spirit shows up. Now, I, I want to tell you this. Um, I grew up in the South in a, in a very Baptist world, okay? So I'm learning, and God's expanding my horizons every day. But, 
But how many of you have seen the, the, the movie Christmas Vacation? Anybody? Okay. If you're a good Christian, you have. All right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've, I kind of grew up, and I hate to say it this way, I kind of grew up where the Holy Spirit was Cousin Eddie. You're glad he's there, but you want him to stay far enough away that he doesn't mess anything up. And that's, that's the exact opposite of what God wants. God wants the Holy Spirit to be in us. He, he sends him inside of us that we can be different. And so that gift is already there. And so we all have access to it. We all know kind of the particulars, especially if you've been around church for a while, you know the particulars. Today, my goal is for you to walk out and go, Man, there's so much that I've got to experience because that goes for us. So when you talk about fanning a flame, let me ask you a question. Do you know how to start a fire? Hopefully everyone here does or you will die. Okay, it's just, it's just the way it is. They probably teach that in preschool here in Wisconsin. Here's how you start a fire. <laughs> but you know that there's a moment when the fire is either going to be lost and you're going to have to rebuild it or you can stoke it, you can fan it and it'll re-catch you know when you have those red-hot embers, even if the fire is not very big, or even if the fire itself has gone out, you can take those hot embers and you can lay the right kindling or the right paper, whatever it would be on there, and it will catch again. And that's what, that's what Paul's telling Timothy. I want you to fan, I'm going to fan this. I want you to fan this. I want the Holy Spirit to be awakened inside of you. And so what we're doing is, is you look at these verses Paul is telling Timothy, we are going to take the smoldering coals of your life and we are going to turn it into a bright and burning flame. And we are going to give it that oxygen-rich wind that it needs to go. Because really, the older you get, the more you kind of understand things, but really all a fire needs is some oxygen. And the more oxygen it has, the more it feeds. And that's why when you, when you see on television, you see these things of these brush fires that are going burning out of control, it's because the wind's picked up, and it's feeding those fires, and they're jumping around, and it's do that's what God wants us to do, not start fires, but he wants us to let that spirit burn inside of us. If you go back, and you look, and you, you can jot this verse down in 1 Timothy 4, 4, it's not on the screens for you, but I want you to understand, Paul's already told Timothy that the gift of God's already there. In the New International Version, it says, don't neglect the gifts you have which was given by prophecy when the council of, council of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, Timothy, go back. Do you know all throughout Scripture there are moments where markers are put? If you've, re if you've read through the Old Testament, then there's some incredible stories where there are monuments built, not to build a monument, but to remind ourselves of who God is. And I, I think that's okay. I think there have to be those markers, those monuments in our own life to look and say, that is a spiritual moment for me. So for me, every time I come into the country of Haiti and every time I land and, and walk into that airport, I think of the same thing. I think of that first time I got off the airport and I had life figured out. I got in and I walked through and I got my bags and I walked out to a bus and I thought, these people, that's always a problem when you start a conversation with these people, okay? But that's the way it started. These people, they need me. Well, I can tell you 15 years later, I need these people more than they will ever need me. Because what God's doing is he's taking our world and he's turning it upside down. And we have a statement that we make a lot in Haiti and we kind of throw this around. It's not okay to be different. God's calling us to be radically different. If you don't believe me, read Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 10. 
Just start with the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and what happens is Jesus says, oh, you've heard it this way. Well, I'm telling you it's really this way. If you really want to understand what the kingdom of God is, do you understand Jesus said, I want to give you access to the kingdom of God. If you want to know what the kingdom of God is, here's what it is. You think you're supposed to be the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. Well, that's what gets us all the accolades. But I'm telling you that you're supposed to even look weak in the way that you serve. Now, that is not exactly a leadership conference that I want to attend. But it's exactly the thing that changed the world through one man and then through 12 and then through an entire movement that swept all over the globe. But we don't know what Timothy's gift is truly, especially if we go to look at the gifts of the Spirit. We don't know what Paul's talking specifically about. So I don't want to focus on that this morning. What I want to do is just to remind you that what Paul's doing is he's saying, Timothy, you've got to fan this, fan this gift, fan the flame to let it be a burning bright flame. We also know that Timothy struggles when you look at verse 7. God gives us a spirit of, of <clears throat> excuse me, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. We do know that Timothy has struggled with being timid throughout his life. In fact, when we, we, hear, we read a little bit earlier in verses 4 and 5, Paul talks about, you know, Timothy, I know your grandmother, how big her faith is. I know your mother, how strong her faith is. And when Paul and Timothy first connected, it was kind of like Timothy was pushed toward him. Because mom and grandma saw something amazing in him that Timothy didn't even see. And it's really easy to go one of two ways when you face conflict. The first way, the easiest way, is to just back up a little bit. I'm gonna, I know there's an issue and I know there's a problem. And I know I probably could help. But it's going to be easier if I just back up and let, let it sort itself out. And sometimes we'll throw a little Jesus language in where we'll say, oh, God will take care of that. He doesn't need me. And then the other way is to just run headfirst into it. And sometimes that problem is truly a brick wall. And there are some people that will run headfirst into a brick wall multiple times. When all they really needed to do was, was say, God, what are we going to do together? Does that make, make, make sense to you? Because there's a difference in I'm going to and we're going to. So Timothy has a habit of, of shrinking into the background and letting other things happen. And Paul's telling us, Timothy, you got to understand, the Spirit does not make us fearful or timid. Now, the word that they use, that, that's used in Scripture in the Greek language for the, for the word timid or fearful, as we have here, okay, is de-lia. Everybody say de-lia. De One more time, de-lia. So you can go to lunch today and you say, I'm a Greek scholar. I've got all this taken care of, okay? I understand this. But daily I can be translated timid or fearful or a coward, cowardice. So do you see that Paul is using pretty strong language here with Timothy to say, hey, Timothy, God didn't call us to be weak or powerless or afraid or to hide behind other things. God's called us to have power. God's called us to be strong in who he is, not in who we are. Now let me show you a little bit about, can I give you a little illustration of what I think the opposite of timid looks like, okay? How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl tonight? Anybody going to watch the Super Bowl? Okay. How many of you are going to cheer for the Patriots? A couple of you are. How many of you are going to cheer for the Eagles? 
Okay, wow. Now let's just be honest. How many of you wish the Packers were playing? You see all of a sudden, everybody's like, yeah! <laughs> because when we start talking things like that, now I can tell you I'm from Nashville. I know you're probably wondering. You thought I was further north, right? Uh-huh. I'm from Nashville. We, we have a team that finally made it back to the playoffs, the Tennessee Titans. And all of a sudden, people started pulling out their old Tennessee Titans jackets and hats and shirts and jerseys because now all of a sudden it's cool. Well, last year, we have a hockey team that's been in, in Nashville forever. And I remember when they first came to town, you could buy tickets to watch the Nashville Predators for $5 and you could pretty much sit wherever you wanted. In fact, we almost, <clears throat> excuse me, the city of Nashville almost lost the team. Now, you Packers fans are going, what a disgrace. <laughs> we own our team. I mean, it's one of these things, okay? But we almost lost the team because there was this just nonchalant attitude of, ah, they're not really that good. And there was one man in Nashville, a radio host, who was a diehard Predators fan. And he got on the radio and he said, we are going to lose the team. If we don't sell out every game between now and the end of the season. And I want to tell you, flash, fast forward 10 years later to last season, the Western Conference champions played in the Stanley Cup playoffs, voted the number one city for sports or for NHL experience, Nashville, put itself on the map. Now, some of you may enjoy hockey. I, I do not understand. It's a bunch of people skating around and trying to hit a puck. I can't hit a golf ball, so I don't want to try to skate and hit something. <laughs> now, some of you guys went, I get it now. I'm not a huge hockey fan at all, but Nashville shut down last year to watch the hockey playoffs. We call ourselves Smashville. That's a pretty trendy little cool thing. It all started because one guy got on the radio and he said, I am going to make sure we do not lose this team. They interviewed him last season. They said, George, why, what would you have done if the team would have left? He said, I would have left with them. That's the opposite of being timid. There are not a lot of Nashville Predators fans in 2005, 2006. 2018. You can't even find a jersey in most stores. And if you do, they're really expensive. And people are dropping money left and right to be a part of this excitement, this feeling. Now I want to tell you, I enjoy sports. I really do. But there's not a sports high on this planet that can compare to walking in communion, walking in relationship, walking in partnership with a God who created this universe. So church, I want to tell you, when Paul's writing this to Timothy, he's not writing this because he's angry. He's not writing this because he's trying to be a bully. He's writing this as someone who loves and says, I'm going to put my arms around you like my spiritual son, and we are going to be different. And that word timid is such a big word. God's not calling us to slink back into the, into the shadows so that we, don't, we aren't upset. And there's a quote from Matthew Henry. He's Written commentary, or commentary, a comment, he's written, written commentaries, excuse me. And it says this We're likely to bear afflictions well when we have strength and power from God to enable us to bear them. 
And I don't know, and you don't even have to raise your hands, and, and wives definitely don't point out at your husbands right now. <clears throat> but have you ever reached a point where you are at the end of your strength and your power and your smarts, and you still keep going, and you just make it worse? Do you know what I'm talking about? What Matthew Henry's saying is we can bear things better because we understand we're not alone. And if you've ever been alone, if you've ever been to the point where there is no more hope, what I will tell you is this, there is a hope. And sometimes it does not look like we think it should look. But Paul tells us at the end of verse 7 that God gave us this spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Power to stand and to speak and the power to be silent at times. He gave us this love, a love enough to share the truth of the gospel, even when it's not popular, even when it doesn't make sense. Self-control enough to pray first before we speak. Again, wives, don't hit your husbands in the stomach. That's not nice. So I'm going to take just a couple of seconds, and I'm going I'm to detour now. I'm going to tell you my story. I want, to, I want to show you some things and I want to explain to you why we do what we do. Because when we talk about awakening influence, there are some of you here today that that flame is being fanned and you don't understand it. It's not a hot flash. <laughs> it's an actual burning of the spirit. It's that, it's that moment that that heart, the chest can't contain it anymore. And you're trying to figure out what do we do with this? It's moments when you start to put money aside and say, I don't know what it is, but one day I'm going to do something and God reveals to you one day you're not going to be sitting here. You're going to be sitting in a completely different location, but you don't know where it is today. So if you'll go ahead and put that next, next picture up there, I'm going to show you, we're going to walk through this here for a few minutes. This is our campus in the village of Nepali, Haiti. Uh, on the right-hand side of that picture, that's an old church building that we rent on the left-hand side. Uh, that's where a lot of stuff happens. So this is what we call our, our campus, okay? Uh, when teams come, those of you who have been to Haiti, you understand. Some of you are looking at that going, wow, that's a lot nicer than in person. Um, yeah, it's Photoshop. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of things happen on that campus. Last year, 2017, we fed 65,000 meals on that campus, just down the street from there, we saw 7,000 patients in our clinic. Now, I want to tell you, I would, love, I would love to be able to be strong enough to say 10 years ago, I knew exactly where this was going, and I was such a great driver. I stewarded us where we needed to go. No. Our story starts a little differently. So if you'll go ahead and put the next one up there, I want to tell you, this is, this is my family, okay? If you want to know what Haiti does to you, this is what Haiti does to your family, all right? We tried to take a family picture, and that's the best one we got. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, um, this, these, this is my, these are my people. Uh, my son that looks like a baboon with his tongue sticking out uh, on the top left, that's my son Dylan and his brand, new his brand new wife, Kelsey. They just got married in November, and so they live in Nashville. And then uh, in front of them is my daughter, Naika. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, Naika's adopted. Um, <clears throat> she's adopted from Haiti. She's 14 years old. Uh, I am holding my son Lane. We'll talk a little bit about him in a second. My wife is holding our son Nash. Um, and then beside them, the one being choked is my daughter Tia. <laughs> and the choker is my son Eli, who lives in Nashville as well. And so he lives with Dylan and Kelsey and is finishing high school in the U.S. And so our family 
was never supposed to look like that. Our family was supposed to have, was supposed to have everything in order, everything looking pretty, everything going well. And in 2003, God put me on a plane to go to Haiti. Now, I have to tell you, I didn't even know where Haiti was when I got on the plane. And that's horrible, I know. But I knew I got on a plane and I had, back in the days of the old portable DVD player, I had four movies. And I looked at the guy sitting next to me and I said, do you think I've got enough movies? Or am I gonna, do I need to pull some more out of my bag? And he said, we're on an hour and 45 minute flight from, from Miami. I think you're good. All right, cool. I didn't know we were that close. This is awesome. (laughs) And again, I got off that plane with that attitude, pulling my little suitcase behind me. These people need me. I needed those people more than anything could ever happen. So I'm going to go ahead and show you one more thing. Go ahead and put that next one up there. That, that, this is our mission statement. This is what we live by in our world. My Life Speaks exists to develop a Christ-centered community in Nepali, Haiti, through three things, orphan care prevention, education, public health. I could stop after the second line. My Life Speaks exists to develop a Christ-centered, whatever we do. Whatever we do, if it is Christ-centered, it can get beyond an accent. Whatever we do, it can get beyond a desire. Whatever we do, it can get beyond ourselves because it is not about us. You have to imagine that we've taken Jesus and we've, we've placed his, his will, we've placed God himself in the center, and we, everything we do around that points toward him. So I want you to understand, church, that I'm not telling you this as somebody who's got it figured out. I'm telling you every day I turn to that and I look at it and I say, God, whatever you want us to do, that's what we want to be about. And this is kind of how I get, go ahead and throw the next one up there if you don't mind. This is where it starts with this verse, Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight. This is out of the New International Version. It's really simple. It says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Open your mouths for those that can't do it for themselves. Now, if you've ever read Proverbs 31, it is a beautiful chapter in scripture because at the end of it, it talks about what a godly woman looks like. And, and a lot of times we read that on Mother's Day or, or we read it at a wedding or we do it, a uh, husband will read it to his wife when he's trying to get points because he's messed up. And he's like, you're such a Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> well, the first few verses of Proverbs 31, it, they come and it's written to a man named King Lemuel. It was written by his mother. And she turned to him and she said, these are some things you need to know. It's things like, hey, don't go to a party and get drunk where you can't make decisions. You're the king. Well, it's great advice. It's like when a mom's getting ready to send their son or their daughter off to college. This is what she's doing. She's writing him these things. And then there's this one nugget right in the middle of it where she says to him, you've got to speak up for people because they can't do it. We read that passage 2010 And we realized that there was something about it. I don't know if you've ever done this, but we kind of highlighted it in our Bible and we went on. We kept coming back to this. And God used that verse to birth what we're doing now. And this is, these are two children, Jonathan on the left and Clara. See, a little bit about their story. Jonathan and Clara, they live in the same house. They're not biological siblings, but they are siblings. Because the way we do orphan care and prevention, especially orphan care, The government gives us children, and then we steward those children and do what we call family-based foster care. So it looks a lot like what would happen here in the U.S. because we don't want to create an orphanage where we put a bunch of kids in. 
we believe kids need families. And so Jonathan and Clara came on the same day. And this is going to be the hardest part probably for you to believe of anything I say today. They were found in an abandoned hospital because the government hospital workers went on strike in Haiti because they had gone for two years and not been paid. And so they did the only thing they knew to do, which was walk out and padlocked the doors behind them. And Jonathan and Clara were inside in the abandoned child unit because that's the dirty little secret. Every hospital in Haiti has an abandoned child unit. And the security guard who had the key would come every day and he would just look at them. And he would just kind of, he would bring people in that may have food. They didn't eat every day. They didn't have somebody caring for them. Clara, you can tell, has some special needs. Jonathan is just trying to figure life out. Now, I love that picture because Jonathan and Clara are completely different because they know what love is. They know what a family is. So let's just go ahead. Let's put the next one up there. We read this verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And again, I'm reading out of the, uh, the, the New International Version. It simply says this, because this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. In other words, what Paul's saying is we didn't hide behind the gospel and just stand on the street corner every afternoon and say, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. Okay, I'm done, now let's go and, oh, let's get away from those crazy people. What they did is they said, we're going to work beside you, we're going to live beside you, we're going to do things beside you, we're going to move in the same direction, and through that, the gospel will come. This is Sajin, or Sa yeah, Sajin and, her and her son, Cam. They struggle on a daily basis. See, you got to understand, she's done whatever it's taken to put food on the table. Whatever it takes. And then she had a baby. And she was kind of kicked to the side and, and wasn't worthy to work where she was. And so she, every day, she, right now, she sweeps our store. Very little money available there. But she sweeps and she works and she comes home and she tries to take care of Cam. But every day it's hard because the community around says, well, you're not worth that. They're just doing that because they feel sorry for you. So what we've said is, if we believe what the Bible tells us, we will live and do life with people. And you know what life looks like? It's messy, and it's dirty, and it's ugly. You understand that's not just your house. Because we all would look and say, well, if you only knew what went on behind the doors, you'd think I was crazy. It's everybody. We've all got our own version of crazy. Some of yours is a little more intense. But what I want you to understand, we're in this together. So I'm going to roll through these pretty quickly. This is, orf this is what orphan care in our world looks like. Orphan care looks like family. So the city seated there, uh, motto on the left, the dad and Stanya, the mom. They have no biological kids. They cannot physically have their own biological kids. But this is their family. <laughs> and the reason that we do orphan care like this is in an orphanage, when you're 18 years old, they pack your stuff up and they move you out because you legally can't be there anymore. Well, here's the best part about this. You never age out of a family, unless you're my kids. <laughs> and then at 18, we have this little ceremony where we go and we, we celebrate, and then you've got six weeks to find a job and get out of this house. <laughs> Not really, but 
You never age out. So Cammie, who's in that stroller wheelchair, was found on the front porch of a house, completely naked with no, no, no hair on the side of her head because she couldn't move and all she, all she could do is kind of wallow. She lives in a family now where every one of those other siblings look at her not like some weird freak because she has a disability, but because she's family, they help take care of her. Now, a little side note on this, and I haven't told you this yet. The reason special needs is so important is because we know it. We understand it. You saw those pic- the picture I started with with my family. We have a son with special needs. My son Lane, the reason he's sitting in that chair, he's 20 years old. The reason he's sitting is he can't stand. He has cerebral palsy. He, when he was born, he had a stroke. And out of a, thir- out of a 40-week pregnancy, he was born at 23 weeks and five days. He weighed a pound and four ounces, 11 inches long, head the size of a tennis ball, kneecaps the size of M&Ms, not the big peanut kind, but the regular kind. So a pound and four ounces, that's two full Coke cans. That's what my son weighed when he was born. So he's not going to make it, they kept telling us. He wasn't supposed to live 20 minutes. So 20 years, the doctors are like, we don't, we don't know what to do. We're just going to live every day like it's borrowed and it's God's and we will continue to give him glory and continue to give him honor because of that. But when you go to Haiti, you don't see a lot of kids that look like that because the voodoo culture says, by the way, voodoo, real, not, not Princess and the Frog Disney version of voodoo but real honest voodoo that says, I can control the spirits. And the reason that Cammie looks like that and the reason that she's drawn up is because there's an evil spirit inside of her. We need to set her free. So kids that look like that in our community, they're in danger. There's nobody looking out for them. They're, they're cursed. They're disposable. So the voodoo community says, let's sacrifice them and let's pull that spirit, and then we'll have control of it. Now, you're looking at me right now like, you are crazy. There's no way that happens. But the reason that each one of those kids have a family is because that's what God wanted them to have. So I'm going to show you a couple of other of our families. So next is Tanya. Tanya and her mom. Tanya's husband, Juanel, I apologize, is not in that picture. But Tanya has two biological children, and then she has four others that live with her. They're all family. Sarah, the little girl... And the striped dress there uh, has very high-functioning autism. But because she's different, she was found in another village with a group of adults chasing her with sticks and rocks. And when she ran across the paved road, which is National Highway 2, when she ran across that road in front of trucks to get away from those people, she ran into the arms of another woman, and the woman held her and protected her. And the people said, don't touch her, you're going to catch it. It's not a cold. It's not the flu. She's different. So Sarah has a safe place to live. Go ahead and put the next one up there. This is Jetta on the left, Mockinson on the right. This is their family. You may remember Clara from that picture earlier on the the top right. Jonathan down below, Sansaika. Oh, by the way, they just had their first biological child. And then Mockinson, the dad, is holding a little girl in his right arm named Merdine. Merdine's not a baby. She's four years old and she weighs nine pounds. Because she looked different when she was born, her mom walked away from her. And she's been diagnosed with something called failure to thrive, which just means her body is so not used to eating well that she's probably not going to ever grow into this large five-foot woman 
what we see, though, is when we met her, she was six, just over six pounds. She's a year and a half old. So today, she's nine pounds. We have a birthday. We have a party every time she hits a new pound. But she has family. Now, I'm going to tell you real quick. I'm going to tell you Jonathan's story. Go ahead and throw that next one up there. So when they found Jonathan in the hospital behind the locked doors, this is what he looked like. His skin was truly beginning to break down. And that picture on the far right is a picture I think describes him absolutely best when we got him. He was petrified because he had, he had not been held. He had not been touched. Now, I show you that picture, not for you to go, oh, it's so I can show you the next picture. Go ahead. That's Jonathan today. He's actually on a diet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Jenny Craig for kids. Here we come. Um, and the reason that he smiles like that is because he has a family. Church, let me take pause just for a second. You have a family. You don't have to look and be afraid. You don't have to think that you're in this all by yourself. You have a family that wants you to have that smile that wants to celebrate with you even on bad days. But no, we like to hide things and we like to say, oh, I'm the only person going through this. So let's roll through these next ones. This is Dash Me on the left, Fofo in the middle. And these are their kids on the far right of that picture is Abraham, who is an absolute stud. Next, next to Fofo, this is Zupine, which I know you don't hear that word a lot. Uh, there's Jordan, and then there is Naika. The cool part about that family is God put every one of those kids there within a matter of days. Abraham was abandoned in a hospital, as was Jordan. They came to live, and then the government showed up with a pickup truck. <laughs> you don't really hear this very often either. Government showed up with a pickup truck with 14 kids in the back. And Zupin and Naika were part of that group. They had been abandoned in an orphanage. Go ahead and throw the next one up there. Oh, go back one more. Regal and Milan. Regal used to work security for us. Now he's, he still works security, but he also is a dad. Milan, uh, they have two biological kids. Regal is holding, on the far right side, Regal is holding <laughs> Richard, who looks like he's never had his picture taken before. <laughs> and then Rishna beside him, <laughs> she's trying her best to smile. <laughs> but you got to understand, people don't get their picture taken very often. They don't have mirrors in their house, so they're not like us. If we're going to take family pictures, we all do the same thing. We get dressed and we go, and we'll have arguments in the car. You're not going to smile like that, are you? I need to see your teeth. And then mom always says the same thing. Now, let me tell you, if you kids don't smile, I will kill you. All right? <laughs> but the other kids there, Emmanuel, Sarah, um, oh, golly, um, Emmanuel, Sarah, and Mika, excuse me. Those three were in the back of that pickup truck as well. Now, I want to tell you something. We hear these stories and we say, oh man, so, I'm so glad somebody's doing something. Hey, it's, this is just my story. Do you understand that that flame inside of you is being fanned? And, and most of you in this room, Haiti, it's not your place, it's not your thing. That's fine. But there is a place and there is a thing. So I'm going to tell you two more things really quick and then I, I, I'll, I'll be done. Now go ahead and put that next one up there. We believe in education. We do special education and general education. Now, really quick, you've all had a chance to look at the picture. Have you noticed one of those things is not like the other? Uh, it's okay. There's a, there's a white kid in the middle of all this. Um, I love being able to tell you this because this is not about our organization, My Life Speaks. I'm a dad and my son goes to school here. These are his peers. These are his teachers. These are people who love him enough to say, Lane, we love you. We're going to force you to be the best you can. 
couple things about this picture. This was last year's school picture. So we had uh, special ed and general education all together. We had all of our teachers outside. It's actually grown. Uh, we have a second special education class meeting now. We do one in the morning, one in the afternoon. We've also added, excuse me, a first grade class. So that was pre-K and kindergarten. This year we added, we added first grade. But the coolest thing about that is we shut the road down to take that picture. Now, you probably don't expect there's a lot of traffic in a village four and a half miles off the paved road, but there's a lot of motorcycles that come through there. And they got so frustrated. Why would you, why would you stop the road for these people? Well, because these people are worthy. Do you understand what God's doing? Every day, he's using different things, different ways, different, different opportunities for his glory to be seen. So last thing we do, one more, uh, next one, public health. So we offer a few things. I told you we had a clinic. We saw 7,000 patients last year. Now, let me just put that in a frame of reference for you. We have 2,800 people that live in our village. So we saw more than double people from outside our village as well. We also offer physical and occupational therapy, where we have about 30 people that come every month to, to have some sort of um, that, pro, or that going on. We do a feeding program where we offset kids' foods so, because mom and dad don't always have the opportunity to feed their kids. We do a prenatal care. We do a pregnant or nursing mother care. And so there's a lot of things that happen in public health. And we define it as this, whatever we can do to get and keep people healthy. Now, why am I spending time talking about education, orphan care, public health? Because here's the thing. If we believe First, First Thessalonians 2.8, that we are supposed to do life with people and the gospel comes out, well, here's the cool, here's the, here's the cool story. We do programs for kids that are at risk and we see the gospel being shared and we see kids who live in a home that's not their own that a lot of times are act living as a child slave. We see them hear the gospel and respond to it because nobody's ever stopped to say, hey, Jesus loves you so much. He wants to be with you. And so public health is just another way for us to take the gospel into people's lives. So last one I'll show you is this. This is community development and I just tried to put a picture up uh, that shows just a little bit of the beauty. Um, if you pay attention to, to current events, you probably know Haiti was in the news recently uh, because people talked about it. Um, and I'm not getting political on that, but what I want you to understand is this. You can find the negative in anything. You can. But I want to tell you that the flip side of that for us is we believe that God's called us to live in a place that's completely different than anything we grew up in. We do a program for, like I say, at-risk teenagers where we give them the opportunity. It's called Redemption 7214. It's based off of Psalm 7214. Precious is their blood in his sight, and by, by their blood they will be saved. Or the ESV says, from repression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it just simply means that we see that kids have an opportunity to grow. We see the importance of a child being a child. We offer art class, cooking class. We offer a gardening class. We offer a music class. We do a program with our elderly. We call it Bingo 46-4. It's everything that you just thought it was. It was going to be called Zumba 46-4, but they wanted to go with Bingo because they like it better than Zumba. Now, it's crazy when you think about it. When you get a group of 60 and 70-year-old people in our community that walk for quite a ways to get there, and then they'll play bingo, or they're, they're learning to color, or they're learning to write the alphabet because most of them never had the opportunity to go to school. But when you see this group come together and you see them explode as they're learning to, they're learning to read the Bible. They're learning to do things that they haven't done before. 
And so here's what I want to do. Let me, let me throw, this, throw one more back up here for you, if you don't mind. Go to the next one. I want to leave you with this thought. My job today is not to fix you. My job today is not to sell you on Haiti. I don't want to do that. My job today is to do nothing more than to fan, for some of you, the embers that are almost burnt out. But others of you, there's a fire going, and I'm fanning it, and it's this raging inferno now, and you have no clue what God's calling you to do. I'm not telling you it's Haiti, but what I am telling you is this. God is calling you to be active. God is calling you not to be afraid. God is calling you to not be timid or sit behind. He's giving you a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And sometimes that's going to burn inside your house, in your family first and foremost. And then it's going to go to your neighbors. And then it's going to go to your community. And then it's going to go much further than any of you could have ever imagined. Because if you would have told me six years ago when we launched our organization, if you would have told me that we would have an opportunity to minister and to be around so many people, I would have said, you're crazy. We're going to focus on this small segment of society. And that's usually when you know God's involved. When you can look back and you can say, this makes no sense. It makes no sense that Jesus picked fishermen and tax collectors and normal people to be the disciples that changed the world. It makes no sense that Jesus calls us to follow him. It makes no sense that Jesus says, hey, this is what the world says, but this is what I say. And so what I want to do today is I want to encourage you is that, is that flame being fanned in your life? If it is, don't run away from it. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Derek. But I, just, I want to say on behalf of all of us from Haiti again, thank you, church, for being a part of what we do. Many of you will never know because you, you can't go. Or you, you're not, that's not your thing, but you'll never know the influence that you've had through your prayers, through your giving, through your, part, your partnership. Thank you. Because of you, we get to do things like that. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you and we say, this is your day. We love you. God, we, on our best day, we can't figure out who you are. So would you just let us stop trying to do that? And would you let us focus on you and what you're calling us to and how you want us to be? Father, I pray that the, the flames that are burning within people, you can see it in their eyes. God, you see it in this place, the hunger for people to, to just partner with you. God, would you fan those flames into a raging inferno, starting inside their homes and reaching outward? God, would you let people know how much you care on a daily basis? Thank you again for this opportunity to be in this amazingly beautiful place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.